the significance of that song um, is especially powerful when we consider the fact that uh, we are in desperate need of a God like that. It, Sam uh, was telling me a story, um, one of his family members, that uh, I'd like to present to you, not for our laughter, but for our consideration and comparison. He was telling me one of his family members was out on a boat um, in the sound area and had three other pastors, preachers with him. Sounds like a joke. Um, but as they were out there, his boat got in the wrong position, and uh, they were having about three foot uh, waves, and it takes a wave across the uh, stern of the boat three times after a row, and the uh, boat wasn't made to handle things like that and carry the water out, and the water was collecting in the boat, and they were sinking. Uh, and then he described that the water was about 34 degrees, um, dawn early in the morning. I, as we were sharing these details, I was capturing the seriousness of uh, their, the situation they were in. And I was thinking, you know, that description captures well mankind. That as you read in the Bible, it describes man due to their own desires of living for themselves apart from God, taking on waves of wrath that cannot be avoided. And that the scenario described in the Bible for mankind is as such that we are sinking in a desperate situation, in in a hopeless situation, just like the 34 degrees early in the morning, way over your head, three foot seas, that describes mankind as needing a savior. And what's not needed in that scenario is not necessarily swimming lessons. Because swimming lessons might be helpful in another situation. But when it's 34 degrees and you are well past swimming distance, it doesn't matter how far you can swim. Some might swim further than others. But when it's all said and done, you will not survive that. What's needed is not swimming lessons. What's not needed for us is moral instruction. What's not needed for us is a pathway for us to try to deliver us out of this situation, no matter how it might look like some measure of reform, of discipline, or religion, what is needed in that situation is a Savior. Someone to come and rescue out of that water. And what the Bible describes for us is what we need is a Savior. Someone who will rescue us out of our pride, our sin... And the effects of that sin, the wrath of God in our life. Because it's just a matter of time before it catches up with us. Now that scenario, though may sound very pleasing to many ears, also sounds very arrogant and devastating to other people. I want to take you to Galatians chapter 1. 
And we're going to look at the gospel of grace, the grace of God that says God just wants to deliver us. Out of his own free will, he chooses to rescue us out of our sin and the punishment of that sin. What's implied is that we are sinners, that we need a Savior. Galatians 1, we looked at last week, looking at verses 1 through 5, and it gave us the two themes of the entire book. Right there in the first greeting, uh, you have the theme of the, the authority of the gospel, uh, especially in, in relating to Paul as a messenger. And then, as we read uh, in verse uh, 3 and 4 and 5, it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. You get that, deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. Do you capture that motif, that metaphor, if you will, of a boat sinking, that we need someone to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father, that this is the second theme of, of Galatians, is that the gospel is God's initiative. It is God's initiative, is according to His will that He gave His Son to deliver us. It is God's doing in our life. And so these captures the two themes of the book of Galatians. Uh, and with that, that thought in mind, we go to verse 6 through 10, which is probably one of the most strongest wordings of rebuke you will find in the Bible, especially from Paul. I think Jesus might have some even more poignant uh, and, and worded uh, strong. But in this passage, you actually have Paul saying, may they all go to hell. May they all be damned. You start reading that. Where do you see that? It'll, it'll be there. I'll show you where it's at. Um, but what's behind this is a underpinning of this one idea that there is one gospel of grace. There is one gospel of grace. And you'll see this as we read this together. And so, uh, in honor of this being God's word, let's stand as we read this, as we consider this one gospel of grace. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let them be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. You may be seated. I think that... Um, as I read this, I had come to my mind Proverbs 25, verse 5 and 6, where it says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Uh, what we have here, and, and really a good portion of the book, is Paul giving a rebuke. And, and it's interesting, Galatians 6, 1 and 2, he gives instructions on how to rebuke someone. Uh, but here we have, it exemplified before us, him rebuking. Um, some of the folks that are in the midst of the churches in Galatia. Uh, 
for us to understand what we're reading here, who is he who is he talking about, these that are to be accursed? I think it will help us if we uh, put your put your finger in Galatians, because we're going there, going back to it. But I want you to turn to Acts chapter 15. Uh, Acts 15, verse 1 through 35, it gives us a little bit of the context of what's going on. In Acts 15, uh, Paul, Barnabas, and some of the believers in Antioch are dealing with what's called Judaizers. These are people who are... Uh, coming from Jerusalem area, following the work of Paul as he's teaching the gospel, saying that you're saved by nothing but the grace of God, that God just delivers us through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, prophesied in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Um, and, and so he's teaching this, but then there are those who are coming behind Paul saying, you know what, that sounds great. Paul was teaching some good things, but we've got a complete gospel now. He gave you a portion. Now we're going to give you the, the complete edition of the gospel in which not only are you to follow the grace of God, but you must also be a Jew, a completed Jew. You must also go through the rituals of law, including circumcision, and follow uh, the Old Testament teachings of what it means to be a Jew. If you do this... Follow the law with what he's saying about Jesus Christ. Then you are a follower of Christ. Then you have the hope of salvation. Um, then you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so these are adding to what Paul is teaching. And so this is going around and it's causing a great debate among the church. And so they're uh, making appeals to Jerusalem. And Acts 15 talks about this Jerusalem council of what does it mean for a Gentile to follow Jesus Christ? Uh, what acts of the law do they must perform? What must they do to be a requirement to be a follower of Christ? And so I want us to read this because it, it could very well be that this book of Galatia was written, this letter was written uh, maybe just prior to this Jerusalem council. Some have even said maybe even on the way to the Jerusalem Council, uh, as one theory, as when this was written, and I think a likely uh, scenario that this book of Galatians was written just previous to this Jerusalem Council. So, uh, let me just read this to you, Acts 15. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on the way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, brought great joy to all the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. 
After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. And the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are with the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicilia, greetings. Since we've heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words and settling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went to Antioch. Having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced because of this encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of Lord with many others also. I read this to you so you would get the context of the debate of the day. This is important because it would determine whether a Gentile uh, would indeed have to become a Jew, including being circumcised. It was no small matter uh, to these. But it was even more important to talk about what is required for us to be saved. Is it really like we are sinking in the water and deliverer comes and rescues us? Or is it that God is instead giving us the law, giving us swimming lessons, if you will, so that we, by our own efforts, can find some safety? And this was the debate. What Paul is saying in Galatians is that, no, we do not add to the gospel. There is one gospel of grace. And so with this thought of mind, I want to just share with you uh, three actions that flow from this idea there is one gospel of grace. So if you will just turn with me back to Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. It's of note, I've shared with you last week, that this is normal in his letters where Paul would give a thanksgiving note like he did in Corinth and Rome's, uh, Romans and Ephesus and uh, Philippi, Thessalonica. He did all this same formal of greetings, but instead of a, a thanksgiving, he says, I'm astonished. And it's, it's, I marvel that you've deserted the faith. It, it, it's a, a stunning contrast to everything he's written. And so, verse 6. I am astonished, marveled, amazed, surprised. You, you name the word. It is it, dumbfounded as he hears what's going on in Galatia. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting who called you in the grace of Christ. So we're not talking about a good marveling. Um, we're talking about a, a negative marveling. Yeah, have you ever marveled at your own stupidity? You know? I, I, 
I was thinking about this. This is kind of like Paul saying, I marvel at this stupidity. I marvel at my own. You know, I was thinking about this. I've shared with you once before, and it's painful to just talk about, but one of the most stupid things I've ever done, and I'm sorry if you're not teaching your children that word, but some things are. Uh, some things just are and, and stupid. And, and I'm going to tell you, when I, when I backed my car out of the carport and hit my own car, and I paid the bill for that. And then two months later, I did it again. <laughs> All right. You marvel with me. You marvel with me at my own stupidity. I'm, and just sometimes that is the only word for it. I'm sorry. Um, I, I, I can't think of a better word. And so this is that same idea. Paul is just, I marvel. I am astonished. You're so quickly deserting who called you in the grace of Christ. This is the same grace of Christ who, who just, uh, in verse 4, says this is the grace of Christ who's delivering us from the present evil age. This is, the, this is like that one, if you're one of those pastors or preachers in that story, that that's, you're sinking in the boat and it's dawn and it's 34 degrees in the water and someone's coming and says, hey, you need some help? And you say, no thanks. I, I, I know how to swim. We would marvel, we would be astonished that you would desert the deliverer, the boat. And so that's the thought here that Paul is saying. I'm presented to you the gospel of grace. And I, how is it you so quickly desert? Now notice what you're deserting. You're not deserting a concept. You're not deserting an idea. You're not even deserting a belief system. Notice who he's desert, who they're deserting. Verse 6. You're so quickly deserting, that's the idea of betraying, who called you in the grace of Christ. You're not deserting an ideal belief system, you're deserting someone. You're deserting who called you in the grace of Christ. You're deserting God who calls you. The God who called the world into existence by His creative power. The God who raised Jesus from the dead. The God who wrought the miracles of conversions among the, Gen- the Galatians themselves. These are the ones that they are deserting. This God who is calling them. Listen, you need to understand uh, that to desert the gospel of, Christ, of grace is astonishing. To desert the gospel of, Christ, of, of grace is astonishing. This is the only hope we have. The simple matter is, is that John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world, the God who is the greatest giver, so loved with the greatest motive, the world, the greatest need. He, he expanded His love to all of us that He gave, which is the greatest act, His only Son, which is the greatest gift, that whosoever, which is the greatest invitation, would believe on Him, which gives us the greatest opportunity, should not perish which is the greatest deliverance, but have eternal life, which is the greatest joy. This gospel that we know of John 3.16 is given to us, and for us to forsake it is astonishing. For us to desert it once knowing it is astonishing. It's the simple thought that there's no one else who's driving their boat by and asking you to join in. If you think about it, all the other religions teach something else. And sometimes the Baptist religion teaches something else. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But he says, I'm astonished. If we desert this, 
It is astonishing because it's so great a salvation of grace. Here's, here's how it works. God, you know, I've messed up in my life. I, 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 I'm broken. And I realize I'm broken. Will you fix me? And God fixes you. He fixes you. He saves you from the the punishment of sin. And then, He's saving you from the power of sin in your life. And one day, He promises even to remove you from the very presence of sin. This is, so what's what's our role in that? Well, we get to break ourselves. And we get to come to an understanding that God can fix it. And we get to depend on that. And God does the rest. God does the rest. He forgives us. He cleanses us. He sends us His Spirit. He renews us. He gives us a new future, a new hope, and He brings us into His family. So, He keeps on going. He says, you've deserted and in turning to a different gospel. If you want to contrast with this with Acts chapter 13, verse 42 through 49, you kind of get the reaction of what some of these Galatians are when they hear the gospel. It is, is one of, of which they rejoice and glorify God for the things they heard. And the Bible says in, Galatians, in, in Acts 13, verse 48, that many were appointed to eternal life, believed. And verse 49, the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. That's the, the reception of some of the Galatian believers in Acts 13. And now there's this contrast. And then they quickly went to something else, turning to a different gospel. Now, verse 7, notice, not that there is another one. (laughs) Some of you are turning to another gospel, but you're not really turning to anything. What is he saying in verse 7? There is no other gospel. Another way of saying it is as we brought to you, There is one gospel of grace. And so, verse 7. But there are some who trouble you. How are they troubling? What's the word trouble? It's it's a word for agitate. It it speaks of a deep emotional disturbance. Uh, In fact, it's used to describe Herod when he hears about the birth of the king of the Jews. It's used to describe Jesus when the disciples, when they see Jesus walk in the water. It It is not just... I'm slightly annoyed. It is a deep emotional disturbance. And these Galatian believers are having this disturbance of the soul because of something's being done. What are they doing? Verse 7. There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now notice what he has to say in verse 8 and 9 about these who distort the gospel of, of, of grace. He says, but even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. All right? This is, that word accursed, uh, anathema. It, it is the word, let them be damned. Let them face the eternal punishment. You just don't see Paul say that much. Unfortunately, we say it all the time, don't we? Damn this, damn that. Do you understand what you're saying? 
Paul is saying, I'm going to use it here. Let them be anathema. Let them be damned. What, what's the idea here? Simply this. To, there's one gospel of grace. To distort it is damning. Is damning. And he says it doesn't really matter who distorts it. And notice what he says uh, as, as we read this. He says, but even if we... In other words, even if I come along and say something different, let me be damned. In other words, the gospel is not an invention of Paul. The gospel is greater than Paul. He holds himself under the submission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not that we're making the gospel, as Rich Mellon says in one of his songs, it is that the fact that this gospel is making me. He is the, the gospel is the source of my life. So even if I come back, but then he says, no, even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel, contrary to this gospel of grace, the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Now, how many of you are up for damning angels? Yeah, let's, 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 let's do that. <laughs> Generally, we avoid things like that, you know? The Bible describes when angels come that we fall down in fear for our life. But Paul is writing, even if an angel should make a revelation contrary to this gospel and distorts this gospel of grace, let them be accursed. Now, let me just kind of describe what they're doing here. These folks who are coming in to Galatia, they're not saying, hey, let me, let me teach you a, a new religion. They're going under the name Christianity, if they had that name back then, which may not, that happened to Antioch where Paul is at. But they're under the same name of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and they're saying it like this. If you really want to be a follower of Jesus, Paul's stuff is good. What he's taught, teaching is good. But let me just, you, you need to know a little bit more. Let me just give you the updated version. Let me just complete this a little bit. So they're not even teaching like Hinduism or Buddhism or, or one of the other isms. That's just a, a big difference. But there, it's just a subtle addition. That's a subtle addition. But notice what Paul says. This subtle addition is not just a slight change. It is another gospel. Why? Because in these slight changes of being circumcised and, and being expected to do the work of the law so that you'll be saved changes the very nature of the gospel. It goes back to the swimming lessons. Here, let me give you a few swimming lessons. And what I've seen as we look at religion across the board, it's either there is God who is delivering you, that i.e. the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ, or let me give you some swimming lessons. It is either God's hand coming down to you to deliver us, or, or it is mankind raising their hands up to God and saying, let me reach to you. Thing is about the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is utterly unique. And if you add any element to it that makes it so that you have to do these works to be saved, as far as having the requirements as the basis of your salvation, it's been distorted. Now there's the grace of God that comes in your life and changes you wholesale. But those changes are the effects. They're not the basis of your salvation. Now, let me just bring some things to your consideration. Some examples of some of the popular religions of the world today. Hinduism. The goal for Hinduism is to, is to be liberated from the karma, the bad karma that has kept yourself in a cycle of life, death and rebirth. So salvation is to be absorbed into union with the universe. 
Hindus believe that the universe is the ultimate God named Brahman. So how do you get one with this universe? Three main ways, by ways of works, ways of devotion. Um, so you obtain the mercy, uh, obtaining the mercy and help of one of the 330 million Hindu gods and finding liberation. And then there's the way of knowledge, which is attained through deep meditation and yoga. Those are the swimming lessons. And you got Buddhism. The goal of Buddhism is to eliminate all the desires or cravings and in this way obtain nirvana, which allow them to finally escape the cycle of reincarnation and suffering. Nirvana is, is the existence of nothingness, the state of nothingness, no conflicting desires within you uh, or cravings. So how do you get to this point? There's an eightfold path. You have to have right understanding, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. Doing your swimming lessons. We get to the shore. And then Islam, the goal is heaven. How is this obtained? Well, five pillars of Islam by the confession that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is a prophet. The prayers that you do multiple times a day, five times a day. The, the giving, you give alms to the poor, the fasting in Ramadan and other times, and then the pilgrimage to the Mecca, the, the Hajj. And so if you do these five things, then there might be hope, there might be possibilities for you to be in heaven. And so you've got your, your five-stroke swimming lesson of all of us trying to get to God. It's interesting that you've got these of uh, Mormonism and others that come along and say, hey, yeah, the New Testament was good, but there is, let me give you the updated version. The version according to Joseph Smith. And so, all these who claim to have visions and revelations that changes the essence of the gospel of the New Testament. You understand where Paul says, even if an angel came down to you and revealed to you something different than the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus, let them be accursed. It is not the gospel of God. Now, I'm not being very popular right now. And I may not be very well received by some of you. I understand that. I think Paul understands that. And that's why he gets to the next verse. Verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man? Are of God. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, would I not be a servant of Christ? Paul knows that as he writes this, there are people who are getting very angry with this idea that he's teaching that there is one gospel of grace and that if you distort it, if you change it, if you add to it, then you will be destroyed. You will be accursed. You will be damned is, is the words that he says. And he repeats himself uh, twice. He's, uh, <laughs> he's, he says in, in verse uh, 8, let him be accursed. And we're thinking, oh, whoa. And then verse 9 says, you didn't get that? Let me say it to you again. As we said before, or so now I say again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one received, let him be accursed. You know, I remember when when this kind of came full force to me and in college and, and I was in a classroom, in a communication class and, and 
folks knew by this time, uh, I think it was a junior or senior, that I was a believer and, and a follower of Christ. And, and one of the professors was doing this study of another cultural, a religious cultural group which did not believe in hell, um, which has a lot of benefits to that. Um, but they were uh, just presenting to me and described this biblical scenario of what hell looks like and the evil of it and, the, and just the cruel aspects of it. And, and then he looked over at me and pointed me out, called me by name and my buddy Matt and said, Hey, you guys, Jared, do you really believe that if we don't follow Jesus Christ and trust in this gospel, that we're going to go to hell? I just gulped and I looked around and, yes, yes, and it just was painfully aware to me at that moment in time that every person that I've yet, not yet talked to them about Jesus Christ, in that moment, what I was thinking of them. I felt like I just needed to crawl out of that room. Just to know that I, I was exposed. Yeah, I believe in hell. I believe that there is a salvation in Jesus Christ and I believe there is one gospel of grace and no other. And that if you distort that, there is no hope. That's not well received. It wasn't well received then. It wasn't well received in Paul's day. And so we've got to ask ourselves this question. By what direction? What is our compass? What will guide us in what we will believe and what we will not believe? What we'll say is good and what we'll say is bad? For Paul, he said, here's my compass is that it's been revealed to me by scriptures and I'm going to trust what the scripture says even if I don't like what they say, even if it gets me in trouble, even if I get hated by mankind, I'm going to go with what that says versus what mankind cumulatively thinks together in their reasoning together because he was of the belief that there is a God who knows knows more than mankind and has revealed to us what life is about and that was far superior than the mass accumulations that man could have and the guesses and the conjectures as to what life is about that is constantly changing. You know what it's changing called? It's called philosophy. It's the whole study of it, of mankind's changing opinions as to what life is about. Paul is saying, we've got to make a choice. For am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? Let me just share with you. To declare that there is one gospel of grace is disappointing. Is disappointing. Understand what I'm saying. It's not going to disappoint your heart. But everyone else will be disappointed. In fact, that may be a mild term. To describe their thoughts towards you. They will revile you. They will hate you. They will call you names. They will deem you as stupid, as a moron, in the worst sense of the word. Um, and bigoted. I talked with you last week about this concept of coexist. There's an understanding where we are able to work with each other, talk with each other, be kind to one another. But why does that have to mean that I have to believe everything else that someone else says as true? What Paul is saying is is there is one gospel of grace. There is only one boat 
coming along the shores, coming along the waters to find the folks who are floating in 34 degree waters. There's only one one who's coming in and inviting you to come in who is great enough as we have sunk, who is good enough, who is powerful enough to rescue us out of that sin. I think this past week it was uh, probably displayed this idea that if we declare in this one gospel of grace that we will be disappointed, even disdained. Uh, I think the uh, Joel Olstein interview this past week, some of you uh, saw that or uh, looked at that this past week um, with uh, Pierce Morgan, um, kind of demonstrates some of this. Um, I was watching this. Uh, Joel Osteen has been known to avoid talking about what sin is. Um, I know some of you like Joel Osteen. I'm just going to let you know, he just doesn't talk about sin much. And I don't have much need of getting into a boat if I don't understand that I'm in desperate situation because of my sin. There's a point where you have to understand that and know that and talk about what sin is. Pierce Morgan brought that up. You, you know, he said up to this point you hadn't talked much about sin. Uh, but he asked him this, this question, um, what he believes about homosexuality. That's also one of the hot issues. He asked him, do you believe this to be a sin? Joel Osteen responded, yes, I've always believed, Pierce. The scripture shows that homosexuality is a sin. He said, he added, but you know, I'm not one of those that are out to bash homosexuals and tell them that they're terrible people and all that. I mean, there are other sins in the Bible, too. I think sometimes the church, and I don't mean this critically, but we focus on one issue or two issues. And there's plenty of other ones. So I don't believe homosexuality is God's best for a person's life. I, I mean, sin means to miss the mark. Pressed even harder by Morgan, Osteen was asked of Singer Elton John is a sinner. He responded, well, it's strictly back to what the scripture says. I mean, I can't, I, I can't grab on one part and say God wants you to be blessed and live an abundant life and not grab the other part that says, you know what? You, you know, live, live that kind of life. So it comes back to the scripture. I, I'm not the judge. You know, God didn't tell me to go around judging everybody. Morgan appeared shocked at Osteen's statement and accused the pastor of being hateful and judgmental. He also asked what Osteen would say directly to Elton John or any other homosexual. He said that God would give him strength in the struggle. I wish he talked about the gospel at that point. Um, at one point, Morgan rebutted Osteen's claim to be non-judgmental. I'm not so sure, you see. I, I think you are kind of a judge. And I think you can't abrogate that responsibility. I think what, because of your influence, there's 7 million, 8 million viewers every Sunday. When you say things like homosexuality is a sin, it's a big statement to make. You are a judge, and you're encouraging your congregation to believe that. To Morgan, making moral judgments in his mind is being judgmental. And you can't escape making moral judgments. It's living. We make moral judgments in our life. Elstein had a moment when he was put to the test. You really believe in the Bible? You believe the claims of what the Bible says? And you could see the discomfort. I could empathize with that. I know it's like to be like that, but not in front of millions of viewers. But it's in that moment where Joel Osteen was asked, what are you going to follow? The opinions of mankind? Because Joel Osteen knew very well what public opinion is. 
are you going to tell us what the Bible says? At that moment, Osteen said, I'm going to follow what the Bible says. And I'm thankful for that. But I'm just going to say to you that that moment doesn't rest just to pastors and people who stand in front of others like we do. That moment waits for every person who follows Jesus Christ. You may have already come across it. It may be in your lunchroom. It may be in a restaurant somewhere. It may be in your office and and, uh, working across, uh, talking to a co-worker. It may be in a family reunion. It may be just walking into a supermarket talking to somebody. But it's going to wait for you. It's there in front of you. And our temptation at that moment is to water it, add to it, distort it in some way. But you need to understand, that person you're talking to, Pierce Morgan, in fact, the public of a million viewership, not one of them is coming across in your boat when you're dying in your sin and not one of them have the means to rescue you out of your pride and selfishness. Not one of them is going to die for the penalty of your sins. Not one of them is able to rise up from the dead. Not one of them will be ultimately crowned as King of Kings. Not one of them is for whom this world was made for and to all glory belongs. And you've got to make a choice at that moment. Are you going to so quickly desert the one who called you in grace, or will you say, I can say no other. I am a servant of Christ. How can I, for all these years, who Christ has been so gracious to me and loved me, how can at this moment say anything other? This gospel is not man's opinion. It's not made by man. The gospel is making me. The good news that God is coming on a boat on the sea of God's wrath and pulls us out of our sin. And it's not the Baptist religion that's going to give you the strength to swim to shore. It's not the fact that you were baptized You join a church. It's not the fact that you give alms to the poor. It's not the fact uh, that you joined a choir or that you live your whole life devoted religiously. The shore is too far away for you. And none of those good works are going to be powerful enough to get you to safety. It awaits a deliverer. Do you have a deliverer in your life? Do you have the gospel of grace in your life? The gospel of Christ, to desert it, is astonishing. To distort it, is damning. To declare it, will be disappointing. But it will save you. It will save you. From this present evil age. Do you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord? I don't ask you to join a religion. This is beyond that. This is just, do you realize you need a Savior? And will you trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you from your sin?
Let's pray.